This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Welcome to Do Try This at Home. Caleb here, just jumping in before the podcast starts. We recorded season one of this podcast over the last few months before we knew exactly what the show was going to be, or even that it would be following a, a seasonal format. So things kind of change as the show goes on and also we didn't have any social media accounts when we were recording so if you want to get in contact or if you want to follow us or get any more information about the show follow us on twitter and instagram at do try this pod and we'll have updates on season one and potential future seasons through those accounts right on with the show take it away tom if you're recording and i'm recording then who's flying the plane Some films are mediocre, so bad they make you moan. We're here to save the cinema, we do try this at home. Welcome to the Do Try This at Home podcast, the podcast where we take uh, films that should have been much better and we talk about how they could have been at least a bit better. I'm... Caleb, uh, and I'm joined as always by my co-host. Um, she's a writer, she's an actor, she's a comic, she's an improv performer, and she's a student of cinema. <laughs> it's aren't, aren't we all? I'm a student of cinema and of life. <laughs> it's Harrison Gale. How it's are you? Me. How are you doing, Harrison? I'm doing okay. You sounded like at the beginning you like were stalling because you had forgotten my name. <laughs> no. like, um, it's gonna. It's uh, tip my tongue. It'll come to me. Uh, she's a, a writer. Uh, <laughs> you you stuck with it. It's like it's like when you um when you you're talking to like a friend or a family member, you're trying to remember the name of an actor, and you're like, oh, they were in this. That you know they do. They've done right. that, I, and then I play that game with my mom, and you refuse to Google it, and it's yeah. Okay. Right. That's that's half the fun. Yeah. What would I need to Google to find Harrison Gale? <laughs> to, oh, like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't I've know. done nothing of note, so that'd be <laughs> oh, a dead end for you. Not, not nothing. I mean, this podcast. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> well, oh. but not everybody can be a podcaster. <laughs> So, no, no, I thought not you were all say, of us. I thought you were going to say not everyone can be a podcast. <laughs> no, that's true too. I don't think anyone is a podcast. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. One yeah, day. that's for that's for next century. Yeah. Okay. Um. What? Let's just get right into it. Um, yeah. Give the people. That's what we're here for. Um. This week we're looking at the gentleman, the the 2019 Guy Ritchie star-studded gangster flick is that how you would describe it <laughs> yeah i mean don't look at me to summarize the plot because i can't i've seen it twice now and i still yeah. really can't tell you what happens i i'll give i'll give it a crack okay if you like so there's a there's okay i regret saying <laughs> yeah, exactly. you're like yeah i can explain the plot and then there it is in front of you and so Hugh Grant is a is he a PI or is he a, a journalist? Um, I think journalist is a little generous. I think he's a PI. Okay, 
and and he uh, has been investigating Matthew McConaughey, who is a uh, a, a, a drug dealer. He's kind of like the the kind of king of the the weed game in the UK. And um, and Hugh Grant has loads of info on that, and he's telling um, Matthew McConaughey's right hand man, uh, played by Charlie Hunnam, that you know all this stuff that all this dirt he's got on him in order to blackmail him and basically it's just this long story about how matthew mcconaughey was gonna make loads of money out of selling off his weed farms and then a bunch of people tried to make him not have as much money from selling off his weed farms (laughs) would you say that's the plot of the film yeah yeah but there's sort of like like an underground conspiracy to dethrone this kingpin yeah and then and then in the end uh, he kind of gets away with it because Colin Farrell and his his boys, <laughs> the lads. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Colin, whenever I do an Irish accent, Colin Farrell is my inspiration for doing yeah. it. Yeah, have you seen the Lobster? I'm sure you have. I've seen the first half of the Lobster, and I saw that. Well, that's like the mo- that's the best half. Ago. So okay, great. Fine. So I only saw. There's, that's for another episode. There's <laughs> a bit um, right at the beginning, as I'm sure you'll recall. Um, where he's talking to Olivia Coleman, and she asks him what uh, animal he'd like to be, and uh, he says, "I'd like to be a lobster because <laughs> they <laughs> they live for a hundred years, they're fertile, their entire lives, and I really, really like the sea." Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't um, realize Colin Farrell was going to be a guest on the podcast today. Yeah, Colin, Colin, get out. <laughs> Colin. Oh man. I've started so loose. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. There was like absolutely like no natural crescendo to when we get silly. It was just like <laughs> right away, let me bring out the impression. Just a bit of Colin Farrell. I I love Colin Farrell, but we'll get on to anyway, that. Yeah. So yeah, there's the, there's this underground thing going on to make Matthew McConaughey get my, less money, and then in the end he ends up get, getting more money anyway, and he's saved by Colin Farrell's boys. Um, my boys. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I, the way I would fix this film is I would make it like what is it, 113 minutes of just Colin Farrell with just his lads. Colin. That's all I want. Just Colin. Just, that was a quick Ray, episode. Don't, we did it. Don't come after my boys. <laughs> my boys. <laughs> Uh, anyway and um and then it, <laughs> right at the end Hugh Grant so the whole way through that he, he's got this like screenplay with him which is basically he's just written down the events as a screenplay and then at the end he's pitching that screenplay right. to Guy Ritchie right yeah is that Guy Ritchie doing a cameo I can I I don't know no no it wasn't I didn't know I looked a bit like Guy Ritchie no real Guy Ritchie is much more fashionable and okay. doesn't look like that <laughs> But it had, but okay, but in the office of that guy, there was a poster for Man from Uncle, which was Guy Ritchie's 2016 film, which is what confused right. me. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure but that was I mean, the, the point is, it's but... like, yeah, that's, that's the kind of joke. Anyway. Yeah. Well, actually, like, he kind of looks like, he kind of looks like, he sort of looks like Charlie Hunnam, but like with a, a little bit of the, the buffness toned down. Yeah. And less, less of that, like, there's just that look that someone who's been in Hollywood for even a couple of years gets. <laughs> like people talk about the transformation that Tom. God, Holland I went wish through. that were me. And <laughs> <laughs> One day. One day I'll have that glassy look. I think it is the it's the water in Hollywood. I reckon. 
Yeah, they put too much fluoride in it. <laughs> they <laughs> too all have much. fluoride that's why, poisoning. That's why they all have such good teeth. Right. Like great teeth, <laughs> um, but just destroying their their insides. <laughs> Oh, there is so much to talk about in this film, anyway. and we are doing nothing. Yeah, anyway, let's get to I, it. I think, so last episode we did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, by Quentin Tarantino, and I think there's a lot of comparisons to be made between that and this, because both films are, I would say this is the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood of Guy Ritchie. Yeah. It's um, it's a, a, a great cast. Mm-hmm. It's kind of long-awaited. A lot of people were very excited about this. Not quite as excited as they were for Tarantino's, but we're pretty excited. Um, but it just doesn't really hit the mark. It's also got some pretty bad racist stuff in there, yeah, which, which Tarantino is like, what did is, as well. Yeah, what is that about? Like, <laughs> I never understood uh, that. I'm just like, why do you need that? Like, it never it, serves I the story know. ever. Like, yeah, you could easily yeah. cut this out and make me hate you less. Yeah, exactly. And and I, I guess as well, I mean, Tar- Tarantino maybe came, he sort of got his break maybe a decade before Guy Ritchie, but they're, they're kind of similar sort of auteurs with their, a very specific sort of visual style. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's really clear watching this. Like, it's so Ritchie and it's it's just like, it's, it's visually very exciting yeah. and kind of is fun, but it's also like really just nice to look at the whole way through yeah it's it's a it's a beautifully shot film and the the aesthetic vision that he has for it is very clear but Mm. the substance of it like i think it's like it's a movie that you quite easily can get engrossed in in the way that you would for any blockbuster it's sort of like really any james bond movie it kind of doesn't matter how solid the screenplay is it just presented to you in such an exciting way that while you're watching it you're like this is great and i'm very entertained and as yeah. soon as you put it under the microscope for two seconds the whole thing falls apart you're yeah like, wait yeah. a second that wasn't as good as i thought but when i but I, I, I would say this is much more entertaining than than once upon a time in hollywood oh for sure like i think there, there is yeah. more of a there is more of a story structure here than in once upon a time yeah. in hollywood it's definitely not as meandering there's think. there's very little driving around <laughs> yeah there's yeah people don't spend yeah. that much time in cars which i appreciate <laughs> yeah me too the one other comparison i would make is is that there is a confusion here about how to deliver information to us as an audience much like mm-hmm. in once upon a time in hollywood is do we do we deliver it in in hugh grant's voiceover do we deliver it in dialogue or do we deliver it in just random info just drawn onto the screen um which again i think it's this thing of uh, 20 years ago when these guys were making, or 30 years ago for Tarantino, when these guys were making these indie, um, low-budget, like, hits that kind of made their name, they those were sort of visual quirks that kind of added to the sort of stylishness of what they cr- were creating. Right. But here, where they, they are not embedded in the narrative at all, they don't help move the story along except to just give us more information in a sort of clunky, expositional way. They just make for this sort of strange uh, feeling that Guy Ritchie doesn't know how to tell us the story he's telling us, which is part of the problem because I got 20 minutes into this and I had no idea what was going on. Yeah, I was about to say, like, there's so much exposition and yet I came out of the movie for a second time still not understanding it any better than I did the first time. And it's not because it's clever. I just have vague senses of, like, what 
people's motivations are. Yeah. yeah, and it's not it's not really that clever. It's just like it's just confusing. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think I mean so w- before we go too far into just like dunking on this film over and over. <laughs> what what are the things? Which I could probably do. Over yeah, one yeah, day, absolutely. But, yeah. but what are the things that you think are maybe worth keeping or worth bringing out of this? I mean, here's the thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, there is there's a lot of stuff that I like, but the I think the problem is that for me it doesn't serve the story. Like I, I love Hugh Grant's character, yeah, um, Fletcher. Yeah. I love Fletcher so much, and I think Hugh Grant, I think he's such a great actor, and I think people write him off just because for many years he's considered, like, just a pretty face yeah. and, you know, made his name in, you know, at least over over here on this side of the pond as, like, the lead in a lot of romantic yeah, comedies, Especially the Richard Curtis stuff, I, right? It's, he's, like, that sort yeah. of floppy, um, foppish, uh, British, right. you it, know, toff, I guess. So I think I think a lot of people unfairly don't, take him seriously as an actor which I think is a huge mistake because I think he's so talented and I think in like I think he's just one of the greatest comedic actors of his generation yeah. and and I think that's re- a really difficult thing to be because everybody thinks it's so easy but he's so good at it and I think he like really does a nice job of characterizing this person that said I don't really see the importance of his character to the narrative, so it pains me because it was he was that character was one of my favorite parts of yeah. the movie. But I don't yeah. see, I, like in another revision, I don't think I think like having him in there is kind of just too clunky, and you know I think also that like in most like I don't want to say mainstream, but sort of like blockbustery type films which i would argue that this one is i wouldn't say it's like you know it's not indie style Um, yeah um nobody's having to really save on the budget here but um in that kind of film i think you know if you're taking like the hollywood dramatic screenplay structure approach i think it's possible to use a frame narrative to your advantage but i think like why not just throw us into the story yeah like get it like start us right where it's in like right where things start to happen you know don't spend too much time having to set up the story which is which is i think also sort of complicated complicated thing to work out as well in a new hypothetical revision because i think like the opening scene is so interesting but yeah um you know setting us up with this mystery like but then it's sort of like then you've got a mystery within a mystery and that's just it's too much going on and and the um, opening scene is a cop out as well when we finally get the right yeah happened. that it doesn't yeah no i agree know. oh it's not I, what you thought and uh, yeah. hugh grant was absolutely one of my favorite parts of this film but yeah i think you're right that he is kind of yeah. <laughs> he's kind of extraneous to the actual um yeah the actual kind of plot of what's happening what's going on yeah. again i i the other person i really loved in this was colin farrell again i colin think farrell, he's yeah. one of the strongest comedic actors of his generation absolutely um and yet is often i you know he's not like written off but he's often like just not really seen as the the strong comedic performer that he is Mm-hmm. Um and and he does he's just what he's great at is and and the reason he's so good in in like in Bruges the um Martin McDonough uh, film it, right. is that he he can just turn on a dime from funny to like 
very serious mm-hmm. and and he draws you in in a way that I don't think many other performers do and there's moments in this film where Guy Ritchie really uses that to his advantage and I think that that's why Colin Farrell's part in this is very good but I also think he's another like twist of the narrative that <laughs> I, I think we could probably find a way of keeping him in but I, I think that he's also something that could very easily be cut and yeah. and not much would be lost which is upsetting but but yeah yeah, i i think the big issue with this is that guy ritchie is doing his classic thing of he's just getting a little too excited by how many twists he can put into this film right and so we come to the end and then and and he's like you know he's set up (laughs) there's actually a a domino metaphor in this film yeah for, for all of the plots that are set off and I think it's exactly that. He set up all of these dominoes and then he, he, he like forces us like, you know, like if you set up a domino roll and then you like made your parents watch you like knock it over. It's like, right. he like forces you to sit yeah. there and did. watch each one of those dominoes fall in order to just get to the end of the film, right. which is, I found the last 20 minutes dragged like so much. It was yeah, just Yeah, because tiring. we get, we get the, we get the solution to, the main narrative yeah like 20 minutes before the movie actually ends and then we've got to sit there for an extra 20 minutes i mean that's that's something that i really respect about a lot of like classic hollywood movies that like you Mm. know you it's it's like you know you get the big kiss and then it says the end like great thank you i saw what i needed to see or like you know even in like casablanca it's like you know spoiler alert if you haven't (laughs) for like a 70 year old movie um, yeah. But, yeah. You know the end of Casablanca, and you know Ilsa is put on the plane. She flies away, and it's just you know uh, Humphrey Bogart left. He's you know I think this is going to be the beginning of a beautiful friendship, and then it ends. Like she leaves, and yeah. it's, that's it. And but this movie it just like keeps going. It just goes on and yeah. with stuff that we don't really yeah. need, and it's really just like. And I think similarly to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This is a movie that it's like, yeah, this is like Guy Ritchie having a lot of fun. Yeah. But it's not fun for us because it's yeah. not a tight film. Yeah, I agree. There's a, there's a couple moments, but the one I would probably point out that's pretty early on is this moment where Hugh Grant is setting up him telling the story of what's happened. And he right. he talks about it as if he's like placing it onto 35mm film. And in doing mm-hmm. so, we get shots of an old projector and we get an aspect ratio change and then back to the original aspect ratio. And it all just feels like, just like stuff. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not the film. I'm going to, all right, I'm, I'm going to come in here with a pitch of what we can do with this. Uh-oh. I know. Hot take incoming. <laughs> what I like about this, in, especially comparing it to, to what we looked at last week, is there are a lot of characters, but actually I think that, uh, most of these characters have far more promise than any of the characters we looked at last week. Mm. And, and like we talked about with Hugh Grant and Colin Farrell, those are fun characters worth. And like Big Dave, I think that's fun. I think it's fun to have this big editor of a, of a tabloid big newspaper. Dave. I think that all works. Here's my thought. We, we, we kind of turn this into a sort of anthology fil- film not dissimilar to um, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the the Coen Brothers film that was released on Netflix. Um, And it's kind of this anthology of stories of 
these British gangsters who are kind of all mixed up in each other. But actually what we're doing is we're pulling each of those different threads of a narrative, each of these different arcs of the different characters out of the main narrative. And then we're experiencing each of them separately for Mm. 10, 15, 20 minutes each. Um, Right. And if you want to keep the kind of meta Hugh Grant character in, at the end, instead of having him pitch a movie to Guy Ritchie, have him pitch a miniseries to Netflix. Like, there's there are so many moments right, yeah. in, in, in this film that feel like Guy Ritchie is trying to point at something that, like, happened in, in our sort of online culture 10 years ago. Like, there's sort right. of... The yeah, Colin, Colin Farrell's his boys and their their, their the, YouTube the lads. their YouTube content is like it it's it feels so like talking down to to our right. generation. Like and if I, he had said TikTok, yeah. then I'd be like, this guy's on the money. <laughs> I mean, I I don't want him to name drop TikTok, but I think yeah, don't do that, guy Richie, if you're listening. But also, like, wouldn't it be kind of fun to do this? this anthology of stories within a film and at the end like it's it's an acknowledgement of like the place that tv is is taking over film but you know mm, the, this sort of yeah. golden age of television we're living in now where it is cinematic is it is filmic um the, the lines are blurred between cinema and television and, and to kind of acknowledge that at the end of your big blockbuster movie by having Hugh Grant pitching a Netflix series rather than pitching a film to you would right. be kind of fun and a little bit more self-aware than Guy Ritchie is in this um yeah and and i i like those meta elements i was you know i got like an hour into this and i just thought matthew mcconaughey is actually good casting because there's a there's an element of (laughs) (laughs) this whole time i'm thinking why him like it's it's good but like why him it's this whole element of like he often plays this sort of stoner character. I mean, I think like dazed and confused and things like that. Like right. he, he, that is like, he, he grew His through niche. these parts of like, um, he's a stoner. He's a, you know, he's like a high school dropout and he's kind of really cool because of that. And actually to have him play this part of like this very intelligent, very sort of uh, cunning gangster who deals in weed, but doesn't smoke it himself. That's a really clever decision in casting. Mm-hmm. And, and it's th- yeah, it's things like that where I think there's promise in these characters and there's promise in that. But maybe actually, rather than trying to like mesh all of these weird stories together and like push them into like one, um, you know, set domino track. Actually, what <laughs> if these are like different stories being told that we get the sense that they're these real stories and that they're all happening at once and they interact a little bit, but they're, they're not necessarily like all building up towards there being like four plot mm-hmm. twists in, in the space of 15 minutes at the end. Yeah. I feel like I'm more interested in seeing that, like, you know, because there are so many different characters and I think that they are all pretty interesting with, I mean, I think, yeah, I think taking more of that approach, I, I think would help, I think it would help Guy Ritchie do what it seems like he wants to do, which is to give us a good time yeah, and for us to have fun. So to do that, I think, you know, because he clearly has all of these ideas that he wants to use, but none of them, because they're all crammed into this comparatively short movie, he can't really explore any of them to to the extent that they ought to be to feel satisfying. If you take sort of that, like, anthology approach, I think that would make it more palatable i think the the problem for me is that 
you know, it does try to, I think, unsuccessfully use this Hollywood screenwriting structure by focusing on, like, the the trials and tribulations of this one protagonist who, quite honestly, I don't feel like we're ever really given a reason to care about other yeah. than the fact that we're told he's the protagonist. So if, and it feels like, you know, the first, I mean, to me, like, and on, from my, my, my version of uh, the reason behind uh, Matthew McConaughey's casting, to me, it just feels like, you know, like a nearly two hour long Lincoln commercial. <laughs> you know, where he's like, like saying all these like, like uh, pithy that, yeah, aphorisms, and yeah. he's like, "What is it? The thing that he says it twice because apparently yeah, Myrich, yeah. he thought it was so clever, right at the beginning and right at the end, two times." He's, yeah, like, he's I, like, "I wrote it down." He's if like, you're... "If you wish to be the king of, of the jungle, it's not enough to act like me. You must be a king." <laughs> Fridge magnet did you get that from? And then the fridge magnet turns out to be his wife, Rosalind, yeah, played by yeah. Michelle Dockery, who is about as useful as a fridge magnet. Uh, well, yeah, that's I mean, that's something else. And this is the thing about if you make this an anthology, again, I don't want to draw too many comparisons between this and the one we did last week. But the other issue is, is that Guy Ritchie, he can never be like, never see the shorthands in front of him and the shortcuts in front of him to tell the story he's telling. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, if you force these separate stories into 20-minute chunks within a, a, a larger film, um, you're forced to find shortcuts, um, which open up space for further exploration of some of these characters. For example, right. Michelle Dockery's character, the, who is Matthew McConaughey's wife. There's, there's the... Um, Man, it's just I was I'm I'm trying to like launch into explaining what more you could do with her, but getting there takes like dragging through so much exposition of what yeah, this just film anything is. that isn't just like you know that she is the motivating force that you know gets uh, Matthew McConaughey yeah angry and because yeah. like then which is weird because she at the beginning she's presented as being like so capable and so self-sufficient that she, like she's running yeah. her own i guess and like really auto body shop him. and yeah. right and not needing him and then you know not that not that she has to but then it's just then like at by the end of it like she's put in i think really what i think is a crassly and needlessly vulnerable position yeah. Yeah. that doesn't really teach her, anyone anything yeah um i think that this is a movie of a lot of like excesses that don't serve the story and that is one of them like yeah. i maybe it's because i went to women's college but i'm always very critical of when directors and screenwriters choose to portray violence against a woman's body on screen yeah, yeah. because so often it's just gratuitous and it's like only like she only exists to serve as a motivating force for him but she has no aspirations of her own and then her body becomes the pawn between these men. And then the next time we see her after that scene is her coming to have sex with Matthew McConaughey at the end of this film. And and that's the prize that he's won, which is, it's, yeah, it's, right. it's such a crass use of that character who was set up as a really interesting character. Right. Um, and for, for context for our listeners, um, we're referring to this, this act of violence against her that we're referring to a content warning of... Um, 
sexual yeah. assault. She, uh, so Michelle Dockery's character, Rosalind, uh, is uh, nearly raped uh, by Dry Eye, played by Henry Golding. Yeah. But just before it's about to happen, that's when Mickey, uh, Matthew McConaughey's character, bursts in and, and kills him. Yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, like, also is like, there's like some sinophobia happening there as well yeah. like yeah we can we can talk about the, the stereotyping later but absolutely um, and so I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I guess the way i kind of want to approach this if you're up for it is maybe going through i think really if, if we're, we're looking at this as an anthology of stories right going through each of these characters and working out how can we kind of tell the story that they've already got but kind of tweak those arcs and turn their narrative into its own little part of the anthology right so i mean let's start with with michelle dockery with with rosalind sure i i mean the big criticism for me is is if you are going to portray that kind of uh sort of sexual violence on film to then have us deal with matthew mcconaughey's grief of it and not Michelle Dockery's grief, or sorry, Rosalind, her character's grief, from that event seems like a very, very bad decision by Guy Ritchie. Yeah, like... Mm. And, and actually, why why couldn't we have a story that tells the a kind of day in the life of Michelle Dockery uh, or Rosalind as... I feel like I should use the character. Michelle Dockery personally. <laughs> yeah. I want to know what her life is like. Why? Why could we not do a day in the life of Rosalind as um, right. as Mickey's wife? But rather than like her being his prize or the thing that motivates him or gets him angry or makes him kill, uh, why not have her as the person who has to just deal with his shit like all the time? Mm-hmm. Just deal with his rubbish. And so, because he does make a lot of messes. Exactly, he, clear. it's so much mess. So, so why couldn't it be like her just trying to run her automobile shop, which she's obviously like she's obviously very passionate about, like having right. this car shop that is full of like female engineers, and I, I think that's fun. I think that's interesting. Um, but but why not have her just trying to run that, and then just every like turn, every step of the way, there's some mess of his that rocks up, and you can even. You know, you can even build towards this moment uh, where Dry Eye, you know, commits a a, a sexual assault on her. And then you have her actually dealing with that rather than Matthew McConaughey shooting her and then us just seeing how sad he was that his wife was touched by someone else. That that either, you know, you know, something happens to her and then she deals with the the aftermath of it or you know she finds a way to defend herself and get herself out of the problem because right now she's just this essentially an object that needs saving yeah but but we've already established her to be somebody who's really self-sufficient so there's a disconnect between how she's characterized and what happens to her there's a lot of stuff happening to her and she doesn't do very much like it's and if you if you know if you like you want to be you have your fun sort of guy Ritchie feel to it you know you have her say like i've only got two bullets in this gun she shoots the two guys dry eye comes for her and then she's got another gun why wouldn't she or she's got a knife you know she's ready she's prepared you know and maybe that's a little too 
glib of a way of, of sort of like bringing that to a, a conclusion. But actually, that makes sense for that character. Oh, she used the two bullets and now she's like, yeah, of course I have another weapon to defend myself rather right. than just this present that was given to my husband. Yeah. And you'd be ridiculous to think I wouldn't be prepared in that way. Right. So that's yeah. <laughs> that's one right, of the cool, stories. We did it. I mean, <laughs> but I think, but the, I think that that makes for an interesting story, and I'd love to spend twenty minutes with, you know, with Rosalind, just sure. like cleaning up these messes, and then at the end, you know, this other mess that's coming from um, Mickey's, you know, let's call his like his narrative like the A narrative because he's you know been billed as our protagonist. Mm-hmm. Well actually this is another mess coming from that narrative and rather than him having to come save her she deals with herself and that's right. that's a, a tie you know knotted uh, a, a loose end found uh and then i don't know what i'm saying yeah you're like, we're like oh, i'm running out of metaphors and uh, but, but yeah i mean it's yeah and it gives us a more compelling thing to watch her do because i think she does seem to, she's established as a really interesting character, especially yeah. somebody who finds herself, you know, I guess by proxy involved in a world that is dominated by men. So what does that mean for her, especially as somebody who is a, you know, a small business owner and, and trying to be a self-sufficient entrepreneur on her own, Yeah. but she still very dearly loves her husband and he's involved in a business that doesn't really have a place for her, um, doesn't have any respect for her. So how does she navigate that? I think that's a really compelling yeah, narrative to watch. Absolutely. Okay. Well, okay. I think that that's... We'll cross her off the list. Done. I, I think the other, the other fun um, sort of element of this yeah. is that um, we don't have to tell these stories chronologically. Right. So, and, and, and they can, and because they're all sort of interweaving, we can tell them and at different times they reveal different information. And I think that's fun. Mm -hmm. So that's one story. Um, The other, the next story I want to kind of wanted to look at is um, the character of Ray played by Charlie Hunnam. Mm -hmm. I I think, I think he is most compelling in the scene where he goes to save uh, Laura, the the daughter of uh, some, you know, sir, I don't know lord or yeah. something yeah um <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i i think you can still have him as as sort of like mickey's right hand man throughout the film and so he'll show up in a lot of the other stories but i think actually that story where he goes to save that girl it, he in that scene in that flat he exudes a power and a strength mm-hmm. that I think is really interesting and was the most compelling thing about that character. The way that he kind of directs and controls that scene and the way that he 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 moves people around him um, so that he is always in control. And even when it looks like he's not in control, he still is it has control of the situation. I, mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting and really compelling to watch. Yeah, and it's the thing that we've been waiting to see from this guy that I think, yeah. quite honestly, comes too late in the film. You know, we all we know of him pretty much up until this point is, you know, that he's Mickey's right-hand man and that he's been having to listen to Fletcher, like, retell the plot of his screenplay to him. That up until <laughs> that point, he pretty much only exists as, like, someone to be talked at and yeah. as this, like, pretty flimsy 
plot device yeah. to, to hold up the, the frame narrative. But here in that, yeah. that scene is finally when we get to see him in his element. Now we see like, oh, that is why this guy of all people is Mickey's right-hand man, because he is really good at what he does, and we get to see him do it. Yeah. Um, and I think, honestly, like, aside from, you know, maybe him cropping up here and there as kind of a fixer, maybe, um, you know, I think, like, that scene could be his scene. I completely like, that's agree. That's his story right there. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's all you need. You just need, you open with, you know, on, on this story, you open with Matthew McConaughey's like, look, uh, this Lord, uh, his daughter's gone missing. It's going to jeopardize my business to not have her. You're going to go get her. And he says, no, I don't want to go get her. And he says, you are. And so he does goes and does it. And I think that's really interesting. The one, the one tweak I would make to what's already there, basically, is that... Um, Ray, he says, like, I really don't want to go to this London flat because I I can't deal with, like, you know, crackheads or, you know, people doing heroin or whatever. I can't deal with the grime of that. Um, and the the reason, I, there isn't really a reason given well, for that. Yeah. The, the reason yeah, I... It's a weird thing to say yeah. and then also not have it come up again. In the exactly. Scene. The reason, and it's I think like, it's... It's sort of like, like, here's the thing and then nothing's... Exactly. There's no follow through. And I think the reason, and I think it's kind of a no brainer, is have him be an ex addict. Mm. Have him, he, you know, previously was a a heroin addict and has, has gotten past that. And now Mickey, knowing that is forcing him to go and confront that. And suddenly that scene has an extra dimension that we're interested in. Mm -hmm. And another threat to him as well, because he is so powerful, especially in that scene that there's... There's really never a question of whether he's going to be successful or not. Yeah. Like, you know, it, yeah. it, he gets a bit of trouble and it's not super easy for him, but it pretty much is. And, you know, I never at any point was watching that scene and thinking like, oh, I don't know if he's going to be able to follow through with this. So it makes it yeah. also not a very suspenseful scene because there's no like you're anticipating that he's going to succeed, but there's never any uncertainty that he will. Um, yeah, you yeah. know, and I like this idea of him like being an ex addict, and you know they're in pretty much like a heroin den, and you yeah. know maybe that's a way that's you know some guy tries to fight back and is you know trying to stick him or something, and you know he'll relapse or something that that yeah. that makes us think like if he doesn't succeed, not only is it trouble for this girl that he's trying to save. It's yeah. really going to be trouble for him. Yeah, and and or even if it, you know he's he's especially nervous. We're not sure why, and they're mm. you know they're about to get into it, and and you can even reveal that with like a roll of the sleeves to show the scars or something like right. that. You know, it's it's really simple, and again, it's a shorthand of telling that story. It's so it's so obvious. It's so visual. We we as an audience would be so aware of what that's saying. Um, it, it again, it just feels like such a no brainer to do that, right. to add that dimension to that, that scene, bring, like you said, danger. And I think that's one of the big problems with this film is that we, I never feel like any of these key characters are in danger. Mm-hmm. Ray's never in danger. Mickey's never really in danger. Coach is never in danger. Fletch is definitely never in danger. <laughs> I mean, like none of these characters are, are, are ever actually going to be hurt by anyone. And it never right. feels like they will, um, which is a problem because why should I care about this story if it's not actually a problem for them? At worst, mm-hmm. Mickey's going to lose 20 million pounds, which we know right. is nothing. Like expensive. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Okay, I think that's great. And I it think it almost makes um, you think too. Like, why don't they just why don't they just pay off Fletcher because it's it's peanuts oh, it's compared so easy, to the right? money that it's they're so making. So easy. <laughs> like, yeah, why not? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. And and yeah, and they explain it away in the film where Fletcher just goes, "What? You know, I know twenty millions enough to make someone just you know just comfortable enough to make someone uncomfortable, or something like that." And it's just like ugh, that's such a weak explanation for that for the linchpin okay. of our framing. You know, like right. that's what the whole frame of <laughs> the film is. That's what you're resting it on. Great. <laughs> okay, well, I think that's great. Um, let's talk next uh, about Dry Eye and his plot line then, and and how you would tell that story. I mean, again, I think I think there's a lot. There's already a lot there that's very interesting. Um, yeah, and also you know built off of like you know these grand narratives that we've seen before that he is Dry Eye is like the heir to this. Um, what is it that they, what is it that they run? Are they, do they also? It's heroin. Oh, they run, they run heroin. Yeah. So they run heroin. Because that's the whole, um, Mickey makes a a big distinction between the, the dangers of weed and heroin. Right. Yes. Um, and how he would sort of never facilitate that kind of thing. Right. So, so dry eye and is it his, uh, is he related to the guy? The guy it's, who runs it is Lord. It's George. never made. Yeah, it's never made clear where, what connection there might be. Yeah, and I don't. And I, I feel bad assuming that they're related somehow, just because they're like the only. That's the position two the film puts us Asian in. Asian right? people in this movie. Yeah, but yeah. and so like I think if you made that explicitly clear, I think that would you know making it clear that they have some sort of connection, whether it is his. I mean, I, I would say actually make him his uncle. Make it make it like Hamlet. And you have Dry Eye, who's yeah. kind of like the Mac, the Macbeth version of Hamlet, who is this yeah. guy who, um, you know, maybe there's something in the past where Lord George is the brother of his father, and Lord George, you know, took over the business ruth- ruthlessly and you yeah. know, staged the death of of his own father. And Dry Eye, that's the chip on his shoulder. That he, that's what he's trying to get back at, and um, yeah, you know, but but he's but not unlike Hamlet, who is so you know wishy washy about how he's going to you know put things right. Dry is like, yeah, I know how I'm going to do this. I'm going to lie in wait and you know kill that dude for yeah. this because he's like you know he's he's ruthless and bloodthirsty and real and really does want the power for himself. So it's both like it, like really the revenge thing for him is just a justification for him to make a violent stab at power and that's like his narrative that he is yeah that because you know in a sense like these these kinds of um you know cartels are are these grand empires so yeah like making that kind of like the parallel to a you know a royal or political empire because in in a way it is um, that kind of power structure. Yeah, or um, even a media empire. Sure. I think that's, yeah, uh, that's a comparison to be made and something that c- could play into, you know, looking at, at other elements of this story. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with the, the the sort of Hamlet metaphor, using that narrative as a kind of building block for Dry Eye's uh, his motivation, because mm-hmm. his motivation is only ever made clear to us as a, f- a sort of um, funny, clever twist that Guy Ritchie's giving us. Right. So rather than actually giving us his motivation and showing us what makes him tick, what makes him 
do the things he does, Guy Ritchie just saves his motivation as some big reveal at the end, even though it kind of is obvious that he's after power and he's after the next step in, in his like movement towards being on top of this dynasty, right? Right. Why why hold that back from us? Well, it, it doesn't make yeah, any sense and it, to And that. it gives him, not necessarily justifies, but it gives us at least his own internal reasoning for his ruthlessness. Yeah. Why is this dude as violent and vicious as he is. And it, yeah. I mean, I, like I, you know, it is possible that it's just sort of, you know, random and that he's a psychopath, but that's not really a compelling yeah. narrative. That's not a compelling story. But if, you know, you give him this backstory of, you know, he, his uncle takes over the business by killing his father, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess just to like sort of, if you have to keep in the near rape of, of Rosalind, if you insist on putting it in there, maybe throw in, you know, Dry Eye's backstory that, you know, his his mother, you know, was was assaulted or assaulted yeah. or murdered. And then that creates that a parallel works. of like, you know, she then then he is not just assaulting her because he's evil. He's assaulting her because in that moment, like it becomes the revenge that yeah. he's taking on the yeah. wrong that had been done to him. And maybe and that's she, it. And, and maybe that's the layer you place upon the Hamlet narrative mm-hmm. is that Lord George didn't only kill his father, but actually he raped his mother and killed her. And 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 so it's not just as simple as a Hamlet narrative we've seen before, but it, it, it gives a, a stronger influence on on dry eye i mean maybe not exactly that but something along those lines it's Mm -hmm. it's placing this really strong feeling and and i think you know when we're telling dry eye's story you can end his narrative with killing lord george and then and then the next time he crops up is in rosalind's story within the anthology and that's kind of the exciting thing about telling telling it as an anthology is we can see what we think is the conclusion of dry eye's narrative Mm -hmm. but then he he pops up again and we see that he's driven even further by power and, and by the, the thought of wealth and power towards an even more heinous mm-hmm. act than we've seen him commit already. Right. And where it's justified the first time, killing Lord George is, is what we might consider a justifiable revenge. Mm-hmm. The next step, who is, which is taking place within someone else's narrative, uh, places him as the antagonist rather than the protagonist. Right. I think that's exciting. I think that's a, an interesting way of telling that story. I, I'd watch that. And, and like, you know, that scene <laughs> where um, Mickey comes and makes Lord George throw up everywhere with poisoning the tea why not make dry eye do that that makes so much more sense yeah yeah (laughs) it's so much more interesting i think i've had a thought about how we can make sure fletcher still has a part in this film oh i would love to hear it because i i love him i want i want him to stay he's good right he's good i think one of the stories can be big dave going after mickey Mm. and doing that through fletcher and so yeah Rather than having Fletcher tell this whole story to Ray and have, you know, have him explain how he's been there the whole time taking photos or whatever, we actually just see Fletcher. We ha- we see a story of Fletcher trying to put together what's happening um, for Big Dave. But actually, why not have it where, you know, we, we, we spend 20 minutes or something with the, of the film with him and and he actually is getting it completely wrong because, because there's so many moving parts to this. He could never capture all of them at once. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that... It brings in that sort of tabloid press media element of it, which I think is really interesting. And I think it's a very, mm-hmm. you know, obviously media is an issue in, in the UK and in the US. But I think that that sense of like this tabloid editor and, and what he's seeking and the dirt he's trying to get is a very British idea. This, uh, this idea of scandal and 
of mm-hmm. putting that on our front pages. I think it's outdated, and I think Guy Ritchie, it's weird. <laughs> I think it's weird to include that in a film in 2019. But maybe that's the story you can be telling th- through Fletcher: is that he's chasing up these threads, but actually all of it's worthless because was you know the right. tabloid newspaper is not the medium in which to be starting a scandal these days. <laughs> like, right. and I think that could yeah, be interesting. And, yeah. Um, to, to kind of do it that way. Yeah, and I, I, I quite honestly think, like, if you run with that idea, just cut out Big Day. Why not make, what if Fletcher is member of this media company? Um, like, he doesn't run it, or he's no, like, what if, you know, Ray Hammond or something. <laughs> and then, like, you know, he's like, listen, I have the story that is going to, that that will make our year, and yeah. I'm going to go and get it. Yeah. You know, because I think, like, you know, it's just, Big Day... If you if you go with that narrative, Big Dave then becomes just an extra character. Yeah, absolutely. That why, why not? And then and then also gives Fletcher that much more leverage to say like you know I don't even have to like then it's it cuts out the middleman. He doesn't have to deliver a screenplay to anybody. Yeah. Like, he is the guy, and he's like I won't publish it if you give me the money. Yeah. Well, and would, okay, wouldn't it be crazy as well if. He is like the editor of this this big newspaper. I just remembered in the film it's called um, the Daily Print, which is the stupidest name for a newspaper <laughs> yeah. ever. Like, yeah, no wonder y'all are going under because that's a dumb yeah, name. Like, it's like you know, Guy Ritchie just put that in. He's like, I'll come back to it, and then just never did. Right, like, and then he's watching the <laughs> yeah. movie. He's like, I never like, changed. It. Like one of his interns had like mocked up the front page of the Daily Print, and he's like, I will do. Like, this is fine. Um, what if, what if he's the editor of this big tabloid newspaper that's kind of going under and to kind of revive it, he takes it upon himself to go out and do the journalistic reporting himself. Yeah, exactly. Um, and even his backstory could be that he started out as a reporter on the bottom rung of this paper. Right, and that's and now he's the editor. Name. He has to go back right. out and find the story himself. I think that could be a lot of fun. to go back to his roots. He's yeah, up and, that's... and now he's gotta he's gotta go back to what he, what he used to know. <laughs> and seeing Hugh Grant in this character trying to do that would be so yes. much fun. Oh, and he can just bump it. into every single one of these right. characters at different points, and that's fun too because it's just like they're all just like these big, broad stroke archetypes of of characters we've seen before, right? Mm-hmm. None of them are like really like proper characters, or at least they're not maybe archetypes, but they're 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 kind of cartoonish um right. which is what's kind of fun about this film so to see like very cartoonish Hugh Grant as a journalist bumping into all of these other cartoonish characters for just like 15 20 minutes of like levity in the middle you mm-hmm. place it between two stories that are a bit heavier and that could be a lot of fun and and a good way of kind of using that character yeah I think I think Hugh Grant would absolutely nail it oh he would he would you know he would yeah He's- he would he would he would still be even in our new version. He would still be the breakout yeah. character. Yeah, yeah. We would make it. We would. We purposely write all the other stories to be worse so that he could be. Yeah, just the just he looks a little extra special. Not that he needs it. <laughs> yeah, he can do that all by himself. <laughs> I'm clearly, clearly, I'm expecting Hubert to listen to this at some point, yeah. so you he can hear how great we think he is. And he's gonna tweet you, and he's gonna say thank you. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, just me. We're like, ah, that that Caleb. Like, no, uh, <laughs> no, nah. and there will also be no context of the tweet. He won't be like, I just listened to your podcast. Be like, Thank no you. promotion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. you. Um, um, I think. I mean, yeah. I think that's a pretty simple solution to to making sure he's still in this film and keeping it funny and silly and keep it. Yeah, making his character do something within the the 
wider narrative. Mm-hmm. And I think getting r- rid of Big Dave again, you can still have that like missed handshake moment that annoys Big Dave, right. but this time it's annoying Fletcher. And I think instead, which is so much more interesting to see happen. Oh, yeah. Like I want Fletcher to be snubbed. Oh man, <laughs> that's <laughs> all I want. Um, ah! No, I love that, and I think that that would be yeah a lot of fun. Um. I, 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 yeah, I don't think there's much more to say about that apart from just like see Grant, man. I think it'd be yeah, oh, we got it, we got it. Um, <laughs> next, let's did it, lad. let's talk about um, coach. I kind of want to end on on Mickey's story, so let's talk about coach. Yeah. What I mean, what can we do with coach, man? What can we? Well, because he's think, so no, good. I think, I think there, yeah, he is great, but I think there, I think there are some elements that that we could rework to to give him. An, an arc or yeah. a mini arc yeah um and i think it's got to be do out, it's got to be to do with his boys i mean let, oh yeah of course it's got to it do with there. the boys it's of course it's the boys and you know he's this he's this he's a figure of authority yeah. who is trying to teach his boys you know <laughs> how i mean and that you know that can be a reference to the title like how to be you know, gentleman. The gentleman. In the sense that, like, yeah. the gentleman. But kind of like, you know, the Kingsman kind of gentleman. <laughs> yes. Where, you know, you're, you know, you're always imp- impeccably dressed. I mean, the, the jumpsuits that they wear <laughs> are, the tracksuits yeah, are they're like off the like, chain. Oh, it's like, so good. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like, always dressed well. Yeah. You know, you, you show respect to other people. You're very polite and conscious of how you're carrying yourself. But as soon as somebody messes with you yeah you put them in their place and oh, that's yeah. the thing that he's trying to teach these kids but you know i i don't know you could probably rework either keeping the whole like you know kids posting fight videos on youtube thing or you know change the medium a little bit so it doesn't feel so dated like yeah, yeah i don't know make it tiktok i don't <laughs> care like <laughs> i have doing, no problem with they're that they're doing a dance like, in mickey's big uh, <laughs> yeah <part. laughs> yeah make, make it tiktok whatever or or twitter or something oh. that doesn't like feel so dated and then yeah. you know that's sort of like the conflict for him that he wants to teach them to be gentlemen but yeah. the new tide is pulling them in a different direction yeah. and so yeah. he's like you know he's trained them to be not like you know they're not assassins, but they do kind of like go out and like you know beat up people and things yeah for as a service. So I think like you know maybe his thing is that like you know they're sent out on a couple jobs and he starts to see them drifting and he needs to pull them back in, but wants to prove to them that you know they that they should take him seriously and maybe he tries to go out and do what they do to prove to them that like, Oh, well, what you do is, isn't so hard. You know, I'm, I'm a guy, the old guard, I can do that. Yeah. And then in so doing, you know, trying to make like what they, in the movie, they call it like a fight porn, like trying to make a fight porn video, like gets himself in trouble and wrapped up in one of the other stories. That's interesting. Uh, Yeah. Like maybe that's where he runs into trouble with like Matthew. What that's really interesting. I, I, another thought, very similar. I, I think what I love about it is it, it is that kind of Pygmalion, you know, My Fair Lady, Pretty Woman narrative, <laughs> like Kingsman, <laughs> right? But the difference right, being, right, right. rather than making someone who is like working class, who is considered beneath them, making them like 
act in a way that is upper class and of the upper echelons of society. What Colin Farrell's doing is he's saying, you don't have to do that. You just have to be the best of this. Mm -hmm. And I really like that. Because yeah. it's kind of like, you don't have to like, none of, none of those guys are going around like speaking like Hugh Grant. No, not Hugh Grant. Who is it? Well, like Hugh Grant in any other film, basically. <laughs> like none of them are doing that. They're all still being themselves. Yeah, but they're, they're all just not like, like, like Colin Firth yeah. in Kingsman. Exa- exactly. And I think that that's what's great about it. I also think as well, like that that opening scene where we're first introduced to him, you can still use that as the cold open of his story. Oh, yeah, it works absolutely. so well. It's a perfect introduction of that character. Um, my, my thought that I, is slightly different to yours, if I haven't completely lost it by just talking about other things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, man. Um, oh, yeah. My thought is, is <laughs> That's that... That's going to be um, fun editing. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> So my thought is that we we keep this thing of um, Colin Farrell's boys have gone out and they've made (laughs) what what to him, you know, he's like, oh, you've just made like fight porn, as they call it in the in the film. And you put it on your YouTubes and your TikToks and your whatevers and your 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 IGTV. I'm just imagining you like just like like lifting up your window putting your head out and like shaking your fist at the children running past your house (laughs) right now saying that i don't i don't want to watch your videos in portrait mode (laughs) make them landscape like they used to (laughs) um they they make so they've made this video and he's like mad at them for it but but what he realizes, you know, let's say he's brought them up to, you know, to, to act in a certain way, to be gentlemen in, in in his sense of the word. And they use that. He's taught them to use their violence when it's worth using to protect mm-hmm. others. Right. And he's like, I'm mad at you because you made this video where you're just going and fighting up, some, you know, fighting up. No going and, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then he gets confused about up? that. But then he says, you're going out and fighting some people for no reason other than to just make a video about it. That's bad. Mm-hmm. Then, But then he realizes, you know, through some, you know, quirk in the story, he goes back to the video. He realizes actually what they're making is a video to try and take down Mickey's operation because they see the damaging effect that the drugs he's dealing are having on the streets around them. Oh. And Coach is like, oh, that's great. And then he gets involved in making their TikToks and it's a happy ending. Making their TikToks? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's great. Anyway, I think that's great. And it fits in with my idea for Mickey's narrative, Mm. which is to actually put this gangster in some jeopardy. Okay. Yeah. So we we can have his like little backstory like Hugh Grant gives us. I quite like that. I don't mind it. I think it's interesting. Except he can't study horticulture at Oxford because nobody studies horticulture at Oxford. Exactly. um, A lot hole. (laughs) It's not even a plot. It's just weird. It's just. Yeah, and like like, honestly, like I don't understand. Like the thing is, I don't. uh, Let me let me let me pick a bone with that. All right. Backstory element. It's really not a big deal. But if the whole thing is like. You know, this man, uh, you know, made an empire for himself through an unconventional yeah. means. Why would you have him study at literally like uh. one of the oldest institutions of higher learning that is so heavily associated with like, you know, the upper crust that it's yeah. it's like if if you could pick any place like that is the most traditional 
avenue yeah. of, you know, like getting yourself into that kind of world. And I think yeah. like, I think to me, it would have been so much more compelling if he was like, you know, this guy came out of poverty, like, ne like never went to any like traditional higher education learning institution, like high school yeah. dropout. And this is the empire that he made for himself, you know, not yeah. using any of the avenues that most people are expected to like, you know, he saw like that, that. He, he wasn't, he wasn't making like, he wasn't going to be successful in the way that everyone else is. He was going to blaze his own path. So to me, it makes no <laughs> sense. <laughs> oh, nice dude. Um, nice. Like it, like having that plot element only, the yeah. only thing it serves is just giving us a reason like why he's in the UK, but I'm sure you could find a different, reason of like why he become you know why he becomes an expat that is like oh he went to oxford like yeah no and and i think and i think that's it i think the only element i do want to keep is this idea that he's in with all of these lords and ladies mm -hmm. and and these important like right. toffs of you know of these like up the he is in with the upper echelon of society right. but you can find another way in for him right um you know, there's other ways of meeting those important people, not just going to Oxford. And I think it'd be more interesting to to find another way for him to meet those people. Yeah. But but yeah, anyway, and I completely agree. And I, no, and I and I think once you're past that, and I and I think you maybe and in that sense, maybe we don't even need to see his backstory. I, I think that his story in this film can be a man who is put in a position by by Matthew where he he needs to sell his business on for 400 million pounds mm -hmm. and then he watches the whole empire that he spent his whole life creating start to crumble before him and part of that is because of um the violence ray gets himself mixed up in part of that is because dry eye is causing nuisance by taking over from lord george mm -hmm. part of that is because fletcher is trying to dig out dirt on him for the tabloid press and part of that is because coach and his boys are go are trying right. to expose him to take down his empire you know it, it, from a sort of a social um sort of social justice point of view so do and, you even and, need matthew and and so well no but i kind of like matthew in that it's the way you tell mickey's story is it's a series of negotiations of price for oh, that business yeah. between Mickey and Matthew. And you do it as these little, like, small two shots. You know, one's over dinner, one's in a bar, one's at one of their offices, one's at another office. Right, and, and you do them as the these... device. Yeah, and, well, yeah, maybe, yeah, that's... I hadn't even thought of that. I was, no. was going to do them all as, like, one 20-minute block, but you could put, put those in between all these other stories. And right. it's... Maybe it's even it's one the, negotiation. It's one sitting. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. as they're talking. And it's that back it, yeah. and forth. And then we cut away to these other stories. Yeah, mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. And I think that that's a really interesting. And, and what it is, is during that, you can even have it, during that negotiation, all of these other stories are coming to a head. And so during that one conversation, you're seeing Mickey's whole uh, empire begin to crumble just at the moment that he's trying to sell it on and get out of the game. Mm -hmm. And I think that that would make for a really compelling film. And yeah. somehow you can either have it somehow he, he manages to get the money he needed or he has to settle for less. And that's the end of the film. Mm. Yeah. 
And as a gangster, that's what he has to do. He has to sell for 50 million and he retires on 50 million. It seems pretty rough, but you know. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. he'll never have to work a day in his life, but. Exactly. And, and I think that that's, yeah, that would be a more compelling way of telling that story. And that, and yeah, that builds a link between all of these stories, but you can still tell them as this sort of anthology where they seem disconnected and then there's these small connections made all towards the crumbling of Mickey's empire during a negotiation with Matthew. I think that's exciting. Yeah. And I think it's 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 fu- it's still fun. It's still a romp. It's still got all of those gangster elements that Guy Ritchie wants to include. Um we can just cut the racism and homophobia and stuff and yeah. and, and and sexism and, I, and just make also, more and of I these characters. I would also say I do want to point out uh also cut the anti-semitism because Oh man, you know, yeah. Matthew Berger as or Matthew Berger as like I mean, to me, I just like, and especially in what I've been hearing in the news the last couple of days about like various celebrities just like casually spewing anti-Semitic bile yeah. and conspiracy theories of like, you know, the, the Jewish American billionaire who is plotting yeah. with the Chinese man to, uh, you know, <laughs> the chi- they literally call him a Chinaman. Ah, yeah. like what? And like yeah. them plotting together to take down, yeah. you know, this blonde American man. <laughs> oh cool oh, like man. great so those are the villains of your movie excellent yeah like with yeah. really no justification yeah. for what they're doing like cool yeah <laughs> great like why make matthew jewish there's there's no like, sense yeah you don't have to explicitly state it it you know yeah I, or, or yeah is... or just have him be jewish just by chance but we don't talk sure. about it. and that's the other thing that got me it. is this this flipping of the shylock narrative right right yeah. at the end the pound of flesh and they flip it and mm. i just thought wow first Ouch. of all that's first of all that's tone deaf in like oh yeah so what you're doing is you're flipping this like famously anti-semitic like character <laughs> written by shakespeare right and the way you're flipping it is you're making the jewish guy a villain again except this time we get his pound of flesh mm. like that's cool. how messed up can you be and oh. and then like and and, and then also like the other way that it's tone deaf is who's going to a Guy Ritchie film who's going to know who Shylock is? Right. Like it's only because I've studied <laughs> no English literature that I have that. Oh my goodness. Everyone else is going to be like, why is this guy asking for a pound of flesh? Like, yeah, like, oh, that's that man. How harsh. And yeah. <laughs> meanwhile, all yeah. the English majors are like, this is gross. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, anyway. So yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Make Matthew Jewish or don't, but that, it doesn't I feel like need to it's be in... not relevant to the story. Yeah, if if exactly. just to like vil- like make him like Jewish villain, like it just yeah. it doesn't make any sense to me. Of yeah, why I agree. Is and just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. So in our new version, yeah. like you know, just don't mention it. Or like you know, if it if it comes up, like you know, maybe maybe like you know, there's like a va- like you know, Mickey makes like a you know a weird like vaguely anti-Semitic comment and you know Matthew kind of just like like puts him in puts him in his place and is like oh well you know that um that stereotype comes from how uh you know hundreds of years ago Jewish people were barred from doing most jobs that weren't you know like being merchants or bankers and you know and you know we're just so great we became so good at it and now everyone's mad at us and sort of like you know turning that on its head rather yeah. than just playing directly into the stereotype and reinforcing it. Or even have like, you know, 
Yeah, Mickey makes a comment and he gets called out by Matthew. Yeah. Or or someone or one of Mickey's guys makes the comment right. and they get called out by Matthew and Mickey's like, what the hell? Like, yeah, as <laughs> why a disclosure would you do for that? our listeners, I'm Jewish. So that's why I'm like, yeah, let's figure out how to work out the I'm, I'm, Otherwise, it wouldn't okay, be like. It doesn't, even, it doesn't even need to be because you're Jewish, though, because it, it just is something that, especially in today's climate, where that, you know, anti Semitism is on the rise and it's. It's like within lots of different areas of society, it's coming yeah, back. Absolutely. And, or, you know, if it was ever really gone. And it's actually something where you really need to be calling yourself out on that if for you're sure. someone who's writing a screenplay for what is going to be a big blockbuster film. Like, that's yeah. something you should be aware of. As, yeah. you know, as is the same with using Asian stereotypes, creating a female character that is just there because it's something a man wants. Like, th- those are all things that you should be you know, you should really be like calling yourself out on it and, mm-hmm. or going to other people and being like, is this okay? And right. then they can say, no, that's not okay. No, like, and you it's need so to do this easy instead. to not make those mistakes. Yeah. I mean, he wor- worked on this story with two other people and yeah. he wrote the screenplay himself, but that's like two other voices that didn't say, you know, on any of these counts, Hey, this is weird. We should rework this. Or, you know, yeah. are you sure you need this element here? And clearly no one said that, otherwise it wouldn't be yeah. a final version. Or or worse yet, somebody was like, yeah. hey, this is wrong, and then he just chose to ignore it when writing the screenplay, which I don't yeah. know what's worse. But um but yeah, and there's like there's bad. Re- yeah, yeah. <laughs> either is bad, but there are ways of reworking it. And obviously, yeah. you know, I don't I don't think that like, you know, only people of a certain background are allowed to comment on the portrayal of those things but i just you know i just thought it it was an important disclaimer that like because otherwise i would say you know just cut it out and that you avoid stepping on the landmine yeah you avoid you know you avoid the stereotype entirely but i think you know coming from the perspective of a person who you know like has seen and experienced those stereotypes you know mm. i think I think there is something to be said of like coming from that marginalized group. And I will also say that yeah. I see myself yeah. as more like culturally Jewish. <laughs> Nobody in my house is very religious. And I do come from an interfaith household, which is always very funny. Um, that's always rife for comedy. Um, but, <laughs> do, you um, have, do you have a five minute bit about that? No, I should develop one. Yeah. Um, but um yeah my type five about being raised <laughs> in an interfaith household i think that okay my bit is that if you're raised in, <laughs> my theory is if you're raised in an interfaith household they just they the the religions cancel each other out and then the kids just wind up becoming like agnostic or atheist as i am that's good like oh that's they just good. yeah it's like <laughs> it's like putting two opposite ma- like or two two magnets of the same pull together and yeah, they just yeah. they don't make anything yeah. <laughs> um yeah, but anyway yeah. you know my point is just so. that like i think you know it is like you know there there is something to be said for you know a, a marginalized group taking agency back yeah. from you know people who have um forced stereotypes on them or you know reworking a stereotype to um yeah, to 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 uplift or you know to subvert the expectation. And there's like so many setups where he could where Guy Ritchie can subvert expectations here, and then just does exactly what you would typically expect. And you're like, wow, well, that doesn't help anybody. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. And it's just 
again, and I think that this is going to be like the tagline of this podcast, but it's just like missed opportunity after missed yeah. opportunity throughout this film. And it's, yeah, and it's it's frustrating to watch because there are moments where um, where I wasn't meant to laugh and I definitely did laugh. And then there are moments where I was meant to laugh and I just felt myself cringing. And that's, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I mean, I mean, that, that was pretty rough for me watching it. But then also, uh, I'm a white guy, so I can just <laughs> roll with the punches on that one. So <laughs> it must like, be whatever. much worse for people who have actually had to deal with these stereotypes their whole lives and then to see it put on the, the screen in front of them by someone who should know better. It's, right. yeah, You're not like, great. Ouch. Oof, ouch, that hurt guy. <laughs> I think that puts us in a place though where we kind of built we built these yeah. these six stories. Uh one of them, Mickey's one, kind of like gives us a through line through the film. The the one other thing I guess I would say is is do you think maybe we could put together a, a an order for these that would kind of give us the information when we need it, but also just see us through the film? I mean, I guess the one thing I was gonna say is you said that the scene where we see how powerful Ray is comes way too late in the film. Why don't we open the film with that? Yeah, that that's no me, context, you know, yeah. nothing, and it it kind of it's similar to I guess that opening scene of Inglorious Bastards with um, Christoph Waltz's character mm-hmm. that showing that power early on, um, so that when we see him come up again later in the film, we know what he is capable of. Right, that that he then just becomes a, a visual signal as to you know when he shows up you know trouble's gonna happen because he's been sent in to to fix something because we know we already know how powerful he is yeah yeah i think it's definitely yeah so definitely worth opening with that then maybe going into like maybe like dry eyes story from there Mm -hmm. and trying to like get dig further into like this sort of uh drug running like gang culture that is uh going to be an important part of the the film the sort of like who are the mm-hmm. gangsters around mickey mm-hmm. um and then hmm, where from there i don't know i guess then, coach yeah, coach's coach. story yeah it feels like a good like this is a, a big effect in bringing down mickey's sort of empire so placing that right, sort of like seeds planted as at as a sort of like end of like end of first act, beginning of second act sort mm-hmm. of conflict is probably a useful place to put it. Mm-hmm. And then maybe go Fletch, Rosalind, Mickey. And I think maybe yeah. even I was just thinking now, like Rosalind's story ends with her sorting out dry eye and maybe even Mickey doesn't even show up, doesn't even know about it because he's still in negotiations or whatever. Mm, yeah. And that just, that then reinforces like the the struggle that she has with, the fact that, like, you know, she's married to this man who seems more committed to, you know, his marriage to business than he is to yeah. his marriage to her. Yeah, yeah. And it's not even, you know, and it's not even like the conclusion is she's she's like, oh, you should have come and saved me. It's just like, well, that shouldn't have even been a situation I was put in. Right. Um, but, but I could deal with it because I've had to learn to deal with it because mm-hmm. that's the nature of me being in a relationship with you and that yeah. and her sort of acknowledging that toxicity of, of you know of marrying a gangster like mm-hmm. that surely can't be that you know a great situation to be in I don't yeah know. I do kind of like you know the sort of I'm imagining like the 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 end of the film where like everything's being wrapped up and yeah. her the end of her narrative is being like you know I shouldn't have been put in that position in the first place I am completely capable of supporting myself 
goodbye, Mickey. And he, not yeah. only does he lose out on the deal, like he gets like, I don't know, you know, half of what he wanted. Then yeah. she also leaves him. Yeah. And then her, she's not a prize, but she's an important part of his life that he's losing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's flips what, it's what Guy Ritchie kind of wants her to be, but he can't make her that because he, he puts her in a position of just being right. so weak that it's not, it doesn't even feel like it's, you know, it, she she plays the damsel in distress rather than the role of this is someone who I want to spend my life with, but she's leaving because I placed this thing in front of what I should have seen was the, the more important thing. Right. And, and that, yeah, that's definitely a far more interesting use of her as a character, but also a more interesting use of him as a character to have the film mm-hmm. end with him, you know, her leaving him and he's like had to settle for, you know, less than a quarter of what he was originally asking for less you know i mean if we're saying like it was originally 400 million he ends up with like say 50 million and he's and he's forced to acknowledge like oh i still got enough to like never work a day in my life but i lost everything that was worth you know having yeah yeah maybe even ray stops being his buddy (laughs) yeah i don't know yeah because he he like in our you know in the new version mickey pushes him into a situation that Raymond does not want to be in and should not have yeah. been put in, you know, of like, you know, if we go with this idea of him being, you know, an ex-addict, you know, putting him yeah. in a, you know, in a, a heroin den is really not cool. Maybe he becomes friends with Coach and then they go yeah, and they... make TikToks together. <laughs> <laughs> Become TikTok famous together. I... I... <laughs> would love to see nothing less <laughs> the end of the film it's just like they get to the credits and before they run the credits they just put up like their tiktok yeah that's username. the tag at the end <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you go through and it's just videos of colin farrell and charlie had like doing dances the dances together. yeah that's, that's good that's good i don't know what tiktok is i think that's probably clear from this episode I, is <laughs> yeah, it just dances i think it's just dances no it's like it's sort of like you know vine right no i do i do know what it yeah, was we, so. we, yeah oh, okay i'm just i'm just kidding i'm riffing Gra- grandpa caleb <laughs> oh, grandpa uh, have you seen my tiktok that's me as yeah. In the character of And what do I say? Child. Do I? Uh, is it a dance? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, tick tock, I know that went. And then you get up and like do a really sad, like, like shaky Macarena. Yeah, yeah. I'm up for that. Anyway. Wait, what? Is, is this part of the film? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's, this, I mean, is this that is the in there. Why not? This is the seventh story in the anthology. <laughs> yeah. That's. <laughs> It's the it's the post credit scene. Yeah, yeah. It's it's that bit in Inglorious Bastards where um Christopher Walken gives the stopwatch to that kid. I still don't even remember what that bit's for, but it's good. <laughs> um <laughs> It's getting late here. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> okay, um on to our famous segment of uh if we you had to do let's all right. How am I saying the scene? It's 25 years from now. The year is 2045. The year And of- you... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is late. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, you... Um, Grammar is you, collapsing. You're basically the next Guy Ritchie. That's what everyone's saying. You're famous oh, for... Oh, no. You're famous for your 2022 uh, gangster... British gangster flick. 
And since then, you've done some other stuff, but you've never really hit the heights. You, you, you've made a, a really famous adaptation of... Um, <laughs> who's a famous detective? He's not Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> You made you made a really famous adaptation of Inspector Gadget. (laughs) Wait, you have no idea how on point this is. I'll explain later. But with Timothy Chalamet in the titular role, never. Who else? I don't know. Anyway, and um, (laughs) Inspector Gadget. (laughs) And then, and then you you remade um, an eighties. TV show because he did Man from Uncle Witch for the sixties and we're twenty years old. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, and and now someone Hugh Grant comes into your office and says, "I've written a screenplay." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hugh, Hugh Grant. He's now like kind of pushing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's a remake of. Actually, the no, he still looks exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, and Somehow. it's a remake of the Gentleman. Mm. Um, but it's it's this instead of the original would you make it <laughs> i would i listen i would i would follow hugh grant like into the <laughs> trenches of world war 1 <laughs> so yeah if he came into my office and was like uh you should make this i'd be like yeah we'll yeah. make it right now so, <laughs> yes. right now <laughs> right at this moment let's get to it um, yeah that's my answer would you yeah, I'd make it. I think it'd be more. I, I, <laughs> Every episode is just gonna end up with us being like, "Yeah, I'd remake it." Well, otherwise we didn't do a very good job. Like, yeah, I, I think I think this is fun uh, and silly, which I like. But it it's just kind of just cutting out the the issues. Cutting out of, the web. Yeah, and it's getting rid of you know tri- trimming the fat. Uh, making it make sense. Just make just yeah, make it make like, sense. Honestly, just just simplify the plots. Like like like, and this this oh, that's, is a, that's a another good podcast title. Oh no, yeah. we keep coming make up it with make them sense. as we. Maybe each episode will just. Oh, I, I actually like that more. You know what? I'm going to introduce next episode yeah. as, as welcome to make it make sense. Make it make sense. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I mean, we can, we can um, fool around with it. It's fine. We can do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be called something completely different, but just each episode is going yeah. to introduce Un- it. Untitled day. movie pro- podcast. <laughs> we change the title every episode. Um. So yeah, I think <laughs> I think I think this is a problem that we get from from mostly from Christopher Nolan that like your film has to be really clever, um, mm. and and at the end like. And and like us as an audience, we we have to not understand what's happening. Right. So that at the end we can go, oh, that really made me. It was really thought provoking. It really made me think. But actually, <laughs> you know, Guy Ritchie just spoon feeds us information all the way through. So all of it does like we do mm, know what's tasty, happening. That tasty, tasty info. But it just doesn't make sense. Where it, which is different to what Nolan. 
I mean, I, I don't think no one always nails it, but it's different to what he's doing where he's not talking down to us as an audience and then he's giving us a an open-ended question as a conclusion to the film rather than like a specific answer. Whereas what Guy Ritchie's doing is just going like, here's a load of information and now what I'm going to do is I'm just going to twist it into like this weird revelation after revelation so that at the end of this film, you're just like, what happened? Rather than like, oh, mm. what, what happened? <laughs> so... But this that we just talked about isn't that, and so I would make right. it. <laughs> so I would do the thing that we said instead. Yeah, it seems more fun, and it's it less does. racist. It was much less racist, which is always and less a plus. sexist. Yeah, as well. Yeah, um, that's a big plus. Well, there you are. We did it. We've done we did it, it again. Um, that was um, make it make sense. No, we can't call it that. I just looked it up. There's like a hundred other podcasts already called that. That makes you know what that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. It Maybe we call it be. that makes sense. It wasn't meant to be. It's fine. Yeah, I, yeah, listen, it wasn't. I like to try this at home, and I've already, I, I've already made so many and I, doodles. I also do like to do try this at home. Okay, great. I'm glad we can agree <laughs> on that. <laughs> No, I, I'm saying I like to do that. Oh, to to try try this at home. <laughs> yeah, I like. No, I like to do try this at home. <laughs> yeah, I can tell that you're running on fumes right now. This late? It's late. Uh, it's, not even, it's not even that late. No, it's not. It's not. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So we made it make sense. <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> Stop um, pushing it. We can't do that title. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> we we did try this at home. Yeah, we did try it at home. And here it is. Um, Not too shabby. And here it is. Um, if people want to l- let you know about how they tried it at home. Yeah. Or, oh, no, nah, that's bad. <laughs> Edit point. No, <laughs> no, nah, nah, we'll keep it. They can... They, <laughs> the fans need to know we're not perfect. Yeah, because otherwise you would think... <laughs> absolutely infallible well if you want um, yeah if you want to tell me how you would have done it um and yeah, tell me why where i'm can wrong and let you? me tell you why you're wrong for telling me i'm wrong you yeah. can you can find me on instagram uh at harrison who and uh twitter at harrison gale who because they didn't yeah. have the same thing, the same handle available. Oh, man. Um, and uh, and on Letterboxd, uh, just search yeah. my, my first name, Harrison, my last name, Gale, G-A-L-E, and uh, give, give me a follow. Yeah. Harrison's a pro lab. Yeah. Harrison's a pro lab box user. Because <laughs> <laughs> I want the those real tasty, deal. tasty stats. <laughs> watching um, habits. Where can they find you, Caleb? They can, they can find me on on Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd, all at Caleb Lebster. C-A-L-E-B-L-E-B-S-T-E-R. It's pretty good. Um, yeah. Uh, we'll probably, we should probably make a social media for this show at some point as well. Yeah. Once we've, once we'll get we've got to the, it. Yeah, I'm working on a logo. Find us on um, Twitter at Make That Mix. No! <laughs> Not be the title. It's not. It's not. It's do try this at home. But we'll have the Twitter handle. Nobody's gonna be like. Not only if people not gonna listen to it, but someone's gonna be interested. They're also not gonna listen because no one will be able to find it. (laughs) 
don't know what it's called. <laughs> you know how we could make all this make sense. We'll just call it. We'll just call this. We'll just call it. Do try this out. Perfect. That solves the problem. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Catch you all next time. <laughs> that was a maybe you like it production. Maybe you liked it. Maybe you didn't. <laughs>